the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. When you think of starting a church, oftentimes we hear about folks that will find a location, get a group of people together, build a big building, put up a big fancy sign, maybe do a little bit of advertising on the streets and invite people to come in. But ironically, (laughs) Scripture tells us to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. My guest today is certainly an example of what it means to literally be out in the highways and byways, compelling people to come in into the larger church. And of course, that is the church with the big C, the church that Jesus Christ himself has built. Visiting today with Pastor Evan Prosser. And Pastor Prosser, i got to begin with just a bit of a, 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 a curiosity here. What What's a pair of Harvard and Radcliffe alums doing working on the streets of San Francisco? Well, we've finally gotten happy. <laughs> 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 we have, have had advent, adventures uh, ever, ever since college. And um, we went... Uh, we went uh, we we went to Hawaii for a couple of years to get get away from the pressure of the East Coast, and then we we uh, so took a boat to San Francisco and ran to ran ran into the hippie movement. So we went from Hawaii to hippie, and to finally to Holy. We got born again in 1974 uh, up there up in the mountains uh, near Grass Valley. So uh, and that was the call. That that's what what was the, that was the beginning of the call. So you came out to uh, San Francisco after your your stint in Hawaii and essentially took advantage of some of the the hippie scene that would have been in the 1960s I suppose the late 60s somewhere in there. Yes. And at the point at which yeah. both you and and your spouse April um dedicated your lives to Christ. When when did you begin to get the sense of God having a calling on you and that this this short-term respite in San Francisco was destined to be more permanent? It was really. Um, it, I was not considering going back to, to San Francisco. Uh, never had thought of that. Uh, I was. I was. We were born again in '74, as, as I just mentioned, and then we we became active in the local church there, a little church called House of Prayer in Grass Valley, and uh, 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 very full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we were just busy at getting active. Going out, meeting people. I remember it's so hard to go out the first time on the street, and it's just and do a do a do, you know do a do an outreach with just walking up to people and talking to them. Um, but once you do it once, then it becomes easier and easier. And that happened to me. And um, so I, I was just uh, beca- I was just becoming churched, and um, and um, finding many friends in the church. And knew knew that God was super close to me, and that that sense of you know going into areas where it's not the easiest but the neediest seems to be a, a hallmark of what your ministry is about. In in some respects, that sense reminds me of my good friend Larry Rosenbaum. Um, with SOS San Francisco, uh, who going back like yourself into the 1970s um, had come to Christ. And God gave him a strong burden to just say, go where the need is the greatest, not wow. where the opportunity is the easiest. And I and I think at the end of the day, that that is a, a, a special and unique calling because it certainly is not the <laughs> it's not the 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 fancy way out. It certainly isn't the uh, uh, the, the the way out that 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 leads to great fame and fortune. But I guess at the end of the day, that's it, that's never what the ministry has been about, has it? No. Uh, one day I was working up in uh, in uh, around. Uh, we were living up in the, the mid, uh, mid Valley and Northern Valley of California, and I was driving uh, a uh, a um, uh, a a van to bring people to and from a a uh, sheltered workshop. 
and I go pick them up in the morning and to take it back home in the afternoon. And one afternoon, I was just driving down the highway, Highway uh, 5 there, um, around Corning, California, and um, the Lord began to talk to me. And uh, I, 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 he he just shifted, shifted the whole thing for me. He just, uh, 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 he said, I want you to resign this church and go to San Francisco and start the homeless church. And I saw it uh, um, um, in, uh, in, in, in the short vision uh, um, of what it, was, what it was to do and to be. And I, as I, I had to pull off the road, I couldn't see because of the tears in my eyes. And so the call was direct from God to go back into the city that I knew from living there for five years as a hippie. I knew it pretty well. Um, and that's part of the blessing uh, uh, that God had given me was to know the city uh, before he called me to it. The city, of course, from that time to today has has changed pretty radically. And those of us that are Bay Area natives certainly have, have noticed the difference. And, and uh, some of the challenges, of course, are, are incredible. But I, I want you to kind of give us the inside story, if you will. We know what we see depicted in the news every night. We know what we're seeing on the pages of the newspapers. But in terms of the sort of the, the inside story of, of where the need is, where the need is yeah. the greatest, give us a sense of what, what ministry, particularly when you're reaching out to homeless in San Francisco, what does that look like? Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to give one verse here out of, out of uh, 1 Samuel 2, uh, uh, Samuel's uh, mother, Hannah, uh, her 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 prayer of thanksgiving and for 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 having a, a child, but this this one verse captured me and it says he he raises up the poor out of the dust and he lifts up the beggar from the dung hill um, to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He has set the world upon them. So what he was saying to me there is that, that uh, the people on the street that I had some vague idea about, well, I was living I was living in San Francisco um, five years previously and saw a little bit of the, of the poverty. Um, uh, and, um, and then he just looked at me that these people are as valuable as anybody else. And, uh, and they, 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 they have a high, higher calling as anybody else. In fact, it's quite a God's plan uh, uh, to uh, he, he's part of how he, he, he operates upon the earth is to raise up um, uh, among the unlikely people to uh, those who will become princes and um, uh, who will carry the burden of, of, of rulership in the world. When we put this in perspective and, and, and consider for a moment that very God himself, creator of the universe, Son of man, born in a manger, no place to lay his head. In a very yeah. real sense, Christ was, was born into poverty as well. And I reflect on the fact that in commenting about the poor, he said one time, the poor you will have with you always. And, and I suspect in many respects that is demonstrative of what God says to the church and our responsibility and sadly, as I suggested in my opening remarks, sometimes we like to take the easy way out. We like to go where it's cozy and comfortable, not always necessarily where the need is the greatest. But I suppose in going to where the need is the greatest, we also see God doing some of the greatest miracles. Is that true? Well, it starts out with Christ himself. Um, at age 30, he left home and became homeless on purpose and lived homeless uh, uh, for three years and died a homeless man. And he did great miracles in that time. <laughs> wow. That quickly puts it into perspective now, doesn't it? <laughs> he chose homelessness, and he put a, put a seal on it. said, this is all you need. All you need is, all, all, all you need is to, to, to be there and to go. This is very true. Talk to us a bit about what you've seen God doing on the streets of San Francisco. And maybe you can begin by helping our listeners understand a bit of the, the breadth and depth of your ministry. The, the, the organization, in fact, is called The Homeless Church. And, mm -hmm. and you literally, as I suggest, are out into the highways and byways of San Francisco, um, certainly throughout the entire week. Uh, you engage in a variety of outreaches. So kind of walk us through what all that looks like. 
Well, it looks like tonight, for instance, we go out on the streets from um, from uh, 8.30 to about midnight, uh, bringing hot meals to the, the people, people in their camps. Um, uh, that's, you know, that's just uh, uh, it's very, very personal, very moving. Um, uh, almost every time I, I, I end up in tears in, in these, these times, I, um, I need that kind of intimate contact. So I'm giving you a detail of this one particular thing. We do feed the poor in their camps on Thursday. Um, and what can we need to be with them? We don't need to just go talk to them and say, well, I'll see you next Wednesday at a certain time or whatever. We just need to be with them. And uh, so we're out there on Thursdays. Friday, we have a service at 16th and Mission Street um, uh, from 6 to 8. And there we serve we serve pizza. Uh, and, um, and it's become quite a powerful service. Um, uh, um, and that's a, it's a kind of a, of a particularly um, famous area for its the variety of sin that's, that's clustering there on 15th and Mission Street. Um, so we, we that's Thursday uh, uh, today, Friday, uh, um, um, on Sunday we are out on the Barcadero at uh, at, at Brandon Street. Uh, Brandon Street Wharf, officially on your phone maps, Brandon Street Wharf will get you there. And we, um, um, we, we're, so that service is a, is a, is on the street, but it's on the bay. It's a beautiful location. God has given it to us, uh, by His grace, uh, and His amazing workings. And so there, the, the atmosphere is, although it's on the street, um, and uh, the 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 needs are unrelenting. There are no bathrooms there. It's just the, the typical homeless scene. Uh, yet it's a, it's a, it's really an idyllic place right on the bay uh, there at Brandon Street and looking eight miles across to uh, Oakland. So it's an opening up place. It's a it's a positive place. It's a beautiful place. And so that's a, an inspiration in itself. These folks that they are they're worthy. Uh, of the best. And when you're engaged in the ministry there, then the Embarcadero, perhaps not this season of the year, but when we start to get into more uh, amplified tourist season, that you also have an opportunity to visit to some of the people that literally come from around the globe to vacation in San Francisco? True. People walk by and people stop and listen. And and uh, and uh, uh, some have come in and sat in the service and, and, and picked up on it. And so that's that's very, very true. We're very visible, very available. You mentioned a moment ago about the importance of spending time, and, and maybe you can speak to that because a lot of people, I think, get the sense that, well, when you're out on the streets, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to build a relationship. A person might be in one location today and then disappear tomorrow. And, you know, I think there's also, for a lot of people in the church, a, a sense of feeling a little bit nervous. They think, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we don't know if these are drug addicts or, or what other issues that they might have. There may be issues of mental illness as well. And so there's some hesitancy. So talk to me about that that importance in terms of relationship building that I suppose mm-hmm. in a very real sense is no different from anybody in any station in life. That's very true, and we have we uh, we we are uh, um, in within the first year of our coming to the city, um, a um, um, a, uh, a a member of a church on Petrero Hill offered us a building. Um, I'm sitting in that building right now. She she offered it to us for because of she, what she thought she we could how we could use it maybe for for helping the homeless, and that has turned into uh, a tremendous. Um, demonstrations uh, and uh, of of identification and a tremendous um, a, a place for effectual work. We call it Grace Healing Home, um, and people uh, we have ten men living with us who were homeless. They live with us full time. Um, uh, they may live here as long as they want to. Uh, and in, in, in the midst of that, of, of that context, we have uh, four, four hours uh, of open house where anybody can come in for showers and laundry uh, and a lunch that my wife, April, makes. And, uh, and so we're, we, we, uh, we open ourselves up to them on the street and we give them a place to come off the street if they want to come off the street and, 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 and uh, redeem their lives, we recreate their lives. Um, so 
So we're with them all the time. I'm in the house right now, and uh, that's that's the context of a li- of life here. And um, so we're we're in it twenty four seven, and people who know us know that. Help us understand the challenges that the homeless are facing. And and I pose the question because certainly we understand, well, it's cold, it's not safe, you're hungry, it's very inconvenient. I mean, I think those are all the obvious factors. But, but for example, there are oftentimes questions of, well, do certain individuals that are homeless, do they really want help? Do they really want to get out of their circumstances? And, and I would I would perhaps counter that question with another question that, that is, and, and I want to have you speak to this. Have you ever run into anybody in the course of your ministry in San Francisco that said, well, you know, Pastor uh, Proser, I, I, yeah, I, I set out to be homeless. This was my goal in life from the time I was a young kid. I thought, you know, someday I want to grow up to live on the streets. I, what my desire, my goal in life is to be homeless. Have you ever met anybody that's ever said that to you? No. And that's the main that's the main aspect of the folks who are living there is that there, um, that there, there is a discouragement, there's defeat, there's um, a sense, a great sense of loss, there's a sense of uh, of of of, of, in, uh, of invisibleness. Mm. Uh, people, ordinary people, um, uh, make a point of not talking to homeless people like they're not real people. And so that huge devaluing of of the personhood of people who are out there um, is 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 front and center, front and center of their relationship, their awareness of excuse me, their late their awareness, I should say, uh, of uh, what they've become, and uh, their the dissatisfaction, there's frustration, there's um, um, uh, panic. Then there's endurance, uh, but there's nobody out there who's <laughs> who has planned to to uh, to as it were end up this way. You know, it's interesting. You you talk about the sense of of invalidation that they feel uh, mm-hmm. that that people look past them, walk over them, uh, as if they're not even there, and how that contributes not only to one sense of of of, of um, worthlessness. Mm-hmm. And ever increasing hopelessness. I had a colleague who shared a story one time about a woman who ran across a lady on the street who was clearly homeless and was asking for money. And so she stopped and and gave her some money to go get some coffee and a donut or something. And in the course of handing her the money, asked her her name. And the woman on the street looked up and looked into the eyes of this lady and began to cry. And she asked her, why are you crying? I just asked you what your name was. And the woman on the street's response was very profound. She said, I'm crying because in all the time that I've been out here, and it's been weeks, months, not only has few people even stopped to acknowledge me, but absolutely no one has asked me my name. In fact, I've not heard my name spoken in weeks and in months. Yes, that's loss, loss of identity, loss of uh, uh, selfhood, loss of self-respect, loss of uh, uh, any hope. People, people are, are are sitting there on the streets wondering, um, um, uh, can I ever be anybody? Can I ever? Turn around. Have I gone too far? Mm. Is is there really a chance for me to have life, or is is this it for me? Another aspect of 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 uh, of, of it is that uh, people who are on the street feel they deserve it. As they, they feel as we as many of us feel when we get in, get, in, get near the Lord that we have that we are we are sinful. Uh, that we have we have we are less 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 than uh, the. Uh, what he would have us to be, and that sense of that sense of sin in this case, in the homeless homeless case, uh, comes to well, I've um, I've gone I've gone too far. Hmm. I will I can never get back. Um, I'm I'm uh, I uh, there's no chance for me. 
people that perhaps have that feeling that they're they're lying in a bed of their own making and and I would wonder for many that that as we as we mentioned nobody sets the goal at childhood to one day grow up and become homeless but they can come from circumstances perhaps a broken home perhaps a home where there was extreme degrees of of violence uh, domestic abuse physical abuse uh, at, at minimum mental and emotional abuse and and I, and I guess you know we we talk about words of encouragement and 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 scripture reminds us how much words matter that God even created the entire universe by speaking words and, and and I would suppose if an individual has grown up in a scenario where the words that they hear are constantly you're worthless you're hopeless you're stupid, you're of no value, you're never going to be anybody, you're a lazy, lousy, no good for nothing, that after a while that message begins to sink in, and before you know it, I would wonder if it almost becomes a bit of a, should we call it a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning that the sense of wanting to be motivated to, to lift themselves up, to do better, to be better, is completely stripped away from them, down to even their sense of being a part of humanity. And so is it any wonder then that somebody lives in such a degree of of uselessness and hopelessness if they see themselves of no value and feel as if somehow the situation that they're in is one that they deserve? And is it yes. any wonder that oftentimes the, the motivation to do better is just completely stripped away from them? Yes. Uh, my wife says um, that, uh, the, that every single homeless woman out there has been sexually abused, either before or during Certainly the experience during. On, yeah. on the street. Every single one. And so there, 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 there's a lot of destruction, a lot of uh, uh, devaluation in their own eyes. They're, they're, they, they, uh, uh, is, is this was this is this really is this is this this is this really what I what I um, uh, what I envisioned for myself when I was a little girl, or, or um, so that this the will will you know um, it raises up the poor out of the dust. Uh, Hannah says, and lift the beggar from the dunghill. That's what that would be from the from the from, from the streets, mm-hmm. uh, the, the garbage dump. Set them among princes. So so uh, um, uh, there's a there's a um, a disbelief that they're that they are in, within reach of any kind of help. So there there really is a process here then, because in order for a person to even believe that there is any way that they could somehow be rescued from their scenario or for the message that God so loved the world that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, for that message to begin to, to penetrate and to resonate, you almost have to start with the point of helping them to rediscover a modicum of the sense of their own humanity, I suppose. I mean, because again, if you have been so terribly abused by others, by drug use, by whatever that the enemy has convinced you of your of your hopelessness, uselessness, and zero value, that I would wonder from your perspective, Pastor, if a lot of it begins by just helping people to begin to to acknowledge that they are indeed part of humanity and they are of value and that yes you're of enough value that this Jesus the the the, the very son of god died for you because god loves you so much you know you and i hear that message as as christians and we think amen and we feel good about that and that and that that certainly you know does something in resonating with us but for the lost person i would imagine for the, the homeless person that it takes a while for that message to begin to to penetrate is that so that's that's very true, and it's, but and, and so so basically, what basically when we relate to those people, we need to honor them. We need to um, um, uh, appreciate who they are. We need to put value upon them because there is value within them, and we need to recognize that and start there. Uh, um, uh, just as God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish, but become become a a, 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 a beneficiary of everlasting life. That God was so loved them, and so we need to so love them. We need to just really honor them and love them, and um, uh, and, and um, um, let them know we can treat them like anybody else. 
with no greater regard for somebody because he's better dressed or he's got a, got a degree he or he's got a Mercedes Benz or whatever it is. Yeah, and and oftentimes those that do, I am reminded that it is easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But coming full circle, Pastor, I think that really um, underscores your point that so much of this street ministry is indeed relational. It's not just yeah. drop off a, a donut and a cup of coffee and, and and maybe a broadside or a tract or something of that sort, or uh, getting up and, and preaching a couple of passages out of Scripture and then disappearing never to return. Uh, you, you really need to be consistent, because I think the one yeah. thing perhaps a lot of these people have never had in their life is there, there's never been any any positive consistency in their life. And, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to show it, isn't it? We need, to lo- we need to love them, honor them, respect them, take them seriously, just where they are. And one tremendous aspect of, uh, uh, of what we do that, 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 that drives that point home, which we could say, uh, come to our house. And um, you can have a shower and you can, um, you can, um, you, you know, um, uh, eat and hang out with us and you can, you can come live with us. So they know that we're serious, that we really do care about them, and we, we're not look, look we're, we're not evaluating them as 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 no good scum. I'm going to ask you a tough question, but it's a question that I think the answer of which needs to be heard by our many listeners eavesdropping on this conversation today uh, throughout the Bay Area and Northern California, and that is simply this: from your perspective, in so many years of working with the homeless on the streets of San Francisco. What should the greater church be doing? And I ask that question and with the understanding that I know that there are churches that support homeless ministries. Maybe they even occasionally will, will put together you know meals during nice weather to provide for folks that are hungry in their community, uh, make sandwiches and go deliver them in parts of their town where they know that there are homeless. Maybe they've, they've done other things too, like uh, passing out Bible tracts or what have you. But from a practical standpoint, since this issue of homelessness is in the news virtually every single day, and it's gotten so that it's not just the big cities like Oakland and San Francisco and Chicago and New York, even the so-called bedroom communities in the, in, in the suburbs are addressing this issue. What should, from your perspective, the church be doing, or what can we be doing better to be more effective so that, indeed, the least of these hear the message of God's and Christ's love? We should be committing ourselves to these people um, uh, on a friendship basis, on a, on a, um, we, we, should, we should sincerely offer um, ourselves and our, and some of our stuff that we have to, to, to offer to them. And we should open up our, 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 our hearts to, to receive them uh, uh, as much as we, as we, as we take care of our own children. It's that it's that radical. We we need to we need to we need to. Um, it's it's good to have organizations that give out blankets and they give out food and do all they all they can those those physical matters. But we need to invite them into our churches and receive them in our in our churches. Um, um, we need we we need to receive them in our churches and and not and. Push through fear, push through apprehension, uh, push through, push into the danger zone of uh, I believe you are worthy of close intimacy with me. That's a high calling, and yet it's a critically important calling. You know, once again, whenever you do to the least of these, and that that Matthew, actually, both twenty chapter twenty four and twenty five are quite of value on this topic. But when you think of the cup of cold water given in Jesus' name, and when I was sick, you came and and, and brought me chicken soup. When I was in jail, you visited <laughs> me. When I was thirsty, you brought me to drink. Lord, when did we ever do these things for you? Whenever you did so for the least of these, you did so unto me. And you know, we kind of hear that verse and think it's nice and it's quaint, and then we gloss over it and we move right on uh, into the next chapter. And I think 
to pause and to ponder what that really means and and mm-hmm. and to begin to capture a vision of what it looks like from the practical standpoint. Um, you know, as I mentioned, it used to be that you'd have to go to a, a bigger metropolitan area to find the homeless, and now most churches can simply open their front door and you'll find it, if not within the block, just up the street. And so that notion of, 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 of engaging in ministry, to be out into the highways and byways and compelling people to come in, uh, it becomes ever so important. Pastor, give us some perspective in terms of, uh, we mentioned at the onset, some of the things that um, the Homeless Church of San Francisco is doing, but in terms of how our listeners can get involved, maybe take a couple of minutes, talk to us about uh, public service times and, and ways in which you can benefit from more people coming in to uh, to pray, to support, to volunteer, to get engaged in really going out there and uh, where, where the nitty gritty is, so to speak, the, what are the old saying, where the rubber meets the road, to make a difference. To speak to the church, um, because we have have a certain model here in Acts chapter two. Um, all they that believe were, were to work together, staying together close, having everything in common. And this is this is uh, this is the, this is like step number two of, the, of in, in the process. That's a pretty pretty big step, but uh, uh, we we need to we need to 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 lay ourselves down for each other in the church and um um the uh the church is a family uh and we need to 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 be there go there i'm being a little bit radical here but they had all things common they sold their possessions and goods and gave part of them to all men as everybody as each one had need uh we need to do that there's there's no reason there's no reason to come lower than the standard that God has set for us um, here in in the Book of Acts in the Bible, um, uh, and they they parted to all men that, as everybody had need and they continuing daily with one accord worshiping in the in in in, in the church setting and eating uh, from house to house. It's a very, a very family-related kind of thing from families getting together. They ate them food with gladness and singleness of heart. So I think we have to just go back to basics and stay there. Um, uh, Jesus, um, 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 we, need, we need to join them where they are and, 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 and include them as best we can. To, uh, to, as best we can in uh, in the benefits God has poured upon us. For folks listening in San Francisco or uh, parts near uh, the the, uh, the city that um, really have a sense of excitement over what you've shared today and, and they'd like to become a part, talk to us a bit about the Homeless Church. I understand that you do have a regular Sunday service, uh, Sundays at 10 a.m., but tell us a bit more. Well, it's good to go to where homeless people are being ministered to and and help to to get in there and uh, and and show up and and be part of the team that does bring food and that does and foods 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 uh, a, a viable a viable way to do it. Jesus fed people. Uh, <laughs> he he never looked down upon that as, as unimportant. And uh, in fact, he said we should do that because they're 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 getting weak and they need to eat. And that's, hap- that's happening on our streets every day, uh, so we, we need to. Um, um, so, so the homeless church is there. The Sunday morning service um, uh, is, is 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 useful. Uh, the but uh, one of the most meaningful things to do is to to get, to visit them in their camps where they're living, and that's the, that's where I started this talking about going out out tonight Thursday night because we're in their bedrooms. And uh, we, we that's where we can learn to honor them properly and uh, uh, and encourage them right where they are and then have something to offer um, to, make, to make the next step, next, next connection. Could be um, come to church, uh, come to this particular service in church where you may feel that they might be particularly com- comfortable. Uh, you got to work on that church um, uh, uh, to get them ready for that. So... Because I know I, I am I one of the most on fire churches in the city of San Francisco, and I'm not going to name. Um, we, I would go with people 
uh, from, uh, from our church and go visit them, and they were very well received. When I wasn't there, they asked them to leave. We have to really push the limits of, 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 of loving people, uh, even in on our own personal location. God wants us to, uh, to step out of our comfort zone. I know sometimes that that can be intimidating, that can be uh, very disquieting, but in fact, it's very necessary. And at the end of the day, we need to realize uh, it's not our church. We, we might have donated. We might have uh, contributed to the building fund. Maybe we come and uh, help set up the, uh, the, the pews on Sunday morning and vacuum the sanctuary. But it's not our church. It is his church. And I think the quicker that we get that through our mind and, and begin to act like it, the quicker we can begin to see a real impact in and around our communities and ultimately our nation. You'd like to get more information about the Homeless Church. Maybe you'd like to get engaged in, in volunteerism. You'd like to come and learn so that you can do a better job in outreach to the homeless in your neighborhood, in your own community, or perhaps like to just come and, and, and be of encouragement and support and help uh, pass out meals or uh, write a check. Let me encourage you to get more information about the Homeless Church um, online at simply homelesschurch.org. That's homelesschurch.org. That's probably the easiest URL you'll ever hear, homelesschurch.org. Pastor Prosner, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a delight to hear your story, uh, most importantly, your heartbeat and your passion, and uh, we will continue to pray for you and the ministry there and the need in San Francisco. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Craig. God bless you folks, all of you. Uh, on, on, on Mount Sinai, he was aware of the, of the failure of Israel uh, 40 years in the wilderness, not keeping any of the feasts. I mean, he was really aware, but he says he has the boldness to say, hallelujah, that you, that you have, uh, have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. If anyone, if anyone among them was saved, they were, they, they were dwelling in him dwelling in him praise the lord that's why god can say through paul in the book of acts uh acts 17 28 for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own prophets poets have said we are also are his offspring by the holy spirit god lives in us jesus christ is living in us hallelujah we, uh, he's our dwelling place. We are dwelling in Him. Hallelujah. For as much as then uh, we have the offspring of God, we ought to not to think that Godhead is like a gold or silver, like about idolatry here. Little, little, little images or bigger images or huge images. Uh, that's not what He is. He is our, he is, we, in him we live and move and have our being, and we are in him by the mercy of God, by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Um, God, God is not a man-made idol. He made you and me to be God's own living image. We are his living image. If we are living in him, then he is living through us. Praise the Lord. And says, Paul says here, um, for a while God put up with, with idolatry. Uh, he, he, he winked at it, the Bible says here in King James. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent, to leave their idols, leave your little statues, leave your little talisman, leave your little, your little special things that you do in your house to make it holy. That's not it. Are, are you, the issue is, are you living in him? Are you living in him? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we must give account to this living God. This living God. But uh, he commands us to turn from, from our lives of sin. He will not live in a filthy vessel, a dirty vessel, a, a tarnished vessel. God um, relates to you and to me one on one. God himself deals with us about our sin. He says uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 6, um, to the man of the world who has let the world come in and run part of his life, part of his life, taking over. He says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Hallelujah. And do not touch the unclean thing. Don't touch the unclean thing. Yes, praise the Lord. I will receive you. 
I will receive you if you, if you, if you cut yourself off from all your other confidences. I rejected all your confidences, Jeremiah says. Said in Jeremiah, and I'll be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Praise the Lord. Because he's appointed uh, a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he had raised him, Jesus, from the dead. He testified that he rose above all of the powers of the world and broke every law of, of the universe to, to bodily arise into the presence of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That man is Jesus Christ. God made Jesus to be the perfect man so we can all be perfect sons and daughters of God. If we're in him and he's in us, we are perfect sons and daughters of God. Whenever we see our sin, we can go to God. Whenever we see our sin, we can go to God. Praise the Lord. He's our direct contact. He's our direct appeal. He is not through any agency, not through, again, any statues or, or any, uh, any ritualistic, you know, um, uh, things that we might do to make ourselves different from the world and special and holy in some way in our own ideas. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Whenever we see sin in us, sin in ourselves, um, we can go to God and ask him to forgive us and give us new sin-free life. New sin-free lives. It happened tonight. It can happen tonight. If you'll say, Jesus, forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for, for my, my mistreating my family. For not taking care of my family. Forgive me, God, for leaving my family who are now worrying about me somewhere. And for, I'm putting them through all that, all that strife and stress in their own lives. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. We ask for forgiveness in the name of his son, Jesus, who himself paid for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He paid the full price. So, the pay, for price being paid, we are free to enter into sin-free living. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In our own lives, your lives and mine, we come short of his perfection. Romans 3.23 says, All men have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So either you're living in Christ or you're a dead man. Either living in Christ or you're dead. There's no halfway. Well, I'm, I was pretty good for the last four days. <laughs> well, what about this afternoon at 2 o'clock? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Come on. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Any one of us. Doesn't matter, uh, uh, doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how far off you are. I finally prayed. I finally, I was a hippie about to perish. <laughs> and I began to realize that. And I was reading the Bible uh, a chapter a day in the Gospels for eight years as a hippie. First thing in the morning, but I didn't do it. <laughs> and I, I was so frustrated. And I, I, I went to him once in a, in a, I was working a sawmill out in a, in a, a 10 minute break. And, a, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I said, God, I can't do it myself. Would you come in me and do it for me, Jesus? Bang! I was somebody else. I changed realms. I became a son of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn you, to make you feel guilty about the lie you told, about, the, about, about to whom you sold dope and they died the next day. He's not doing that. Hallelujah. But that they might be saved. And that power overpowers every other power. Every other power in the universe lifts you out of this old ragged world. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can we ask him for forgiveness tonight? Can we, Holy Spirit, settle upon us in the conviction of sin, I pray. Settle upon us, dear Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 
you individually, if you stand here in the line, or you, you sit here behind, behind, serve the food, or you stand over here, the other line, praise the Lord. Well, this is becoming a party center here. This is a party for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Uh, you are never too far from God to come back to Him. You're never too far from God to come back from Him. Hallelujah. We were wasted hippies. We were, we were goners. And, uh, and with the cry of my heart broke through. And then April said, what's he getting into now? That's my wife, April. Thank you, Jesus. She found out two days later. And so we've been serving God ever since. Praise the Lord. Come unto me, all you who labor, heavy laden. You're carrying your sins around. You're trying to stay high to forget about it. You're, um, you're uh, trying to act cool so your friends will think that you think you're all right, but really you're, you're sad on the inside and you're sorry. You, you walk so far from the life that you, we once knew when you were 14 years old in Sunday school. I'm talking to three people here right now. When you were 14 years old, you knew God. I get to know God at that age and it, it helped me feel the rest of my life. I remember, it's why I got frustrated. I, where's that feeling? How can I get back? Praise the Lord. Take my yoke upon you. Come under, come under get, get under the load with, with me. And learn of me. I am meek and lowly, Jesus says, lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for lightening our load. Thank you for, for being the strength within us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for walking in our lives through us, God. We are in, in, in you. You are in us. All the fullness of the Godhead dwell bodily in Jesus, and it dwells in you and me. If we say yes to God, yes tonight, yes, I come to you tonight, Lord. Is there anybody here tonight? Say, yes, I want to come to you. Just a, just wave at me. Hallelujah, God, tonight, work in that man's heart, I pray. Hallelujah. Pray with you later. We just thank you, Jesus, for your deliverance, for your offering us the kingdom of God. Thank you, God. Holy Jesus, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords. You are holy, holy. You are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this food that's now going to be served. Thank you for our being able to be together in this happy time, this happy place, kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is Pastor Evan Prosser. He is Senior Pastor of the Homeless Church of San Francisco. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Welcome to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. Part of the reason we are here today, looking at how secular we've become, is, of course, a number of people are deliberately rejecting the Christian faith. But there is an additional explanation that Barna is pointing us to. A number of well-intended parents have been, shall we say, less than intentional in their parenting? Let's pick up on more of the conversation of Greg Stelz with George Barna, talking about the research behind his latest book, Raising Spiritual Champions. The Christian worldview, is, it's, we're always a generation of it being extinct because it's something that has to be passed on. Our natural inclination is to rebel and to run away from the things of God. We need to be, have these things served back into our lives, don't we? 
We do. And, you know, part of what I talk about in the book is that as I studied the most effective parents, those who actually raised spiritual champions, and we talk with those young adults who are spiritual champions, and we talk with their parents to figure out, well, how did they do this? That's unusual. What, what was the trick here? One of the most important things is consistency. What we found is that the kids said, you know what, looking back on it, the thing that really enabled me to become a, a champion for God is that my parents were so reliable. They were so trustworthy. They were so stable in terms of not only what they believed, but how they lived out what they believed. I could watch them. I could listen to them. I could question them. I could hang out with them. And I just kept seeing the same thing over and over. It was so real. I got it, and I wanted it, and that's why I became this way. So consistency is a key thing, but consistency in what? Well, this goes back to something else I talk about, which is that if you're going to raise a spiritual champion, it doesn't happen by accident. Uh, it, it, what you've got to do is have a plan. Part of that plan is that you've got to recognize that raising your children to honor God, to be disciples of Jesus, has to be your top life priority. Getting the promotion at work, uh, moving into a bigger house, a nicer neighborhood, that's all nice. But, but that's not really why God put you here on earth. He entrusted these children to you because he wants them to grow up to honor and glorify him. And the only way that's going to happen, in all likelihood, is if you take your God-given responsibility to raise them to be God-honoring people. And so that's part of the plan. But also part of the plan is thinking through, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? How do those beliefs fit together? Do those beliefs actually reflect the core principles that the scriptures teach? If they don't, all you're going to do is lead your child astray. That's what most American parents are doing now. So you've got to be very cautious about the kind of beliefs that you embrace and the ones that you teach, either through your words or your behaviors, to your children. Well, you know, when St. Augustine says, my soul will only find rest when it rests in you, our culture has told us the complete opposite of that. We've been told that drugs and 401ks and leisure, sexual license, all that will take the place of God and make me happy. And what is interesting to me, too, is when we had an institutional view of marriage, where the whole point of marriage was not just so I would be happy in my relationship, but that I'd be part of the family, I'd be part of the name. I had My grandparents had values. My parents had values, and I have those values, and I want to transmit those values to those that I love. Then, you know, we actually were able to resist some of that stuff. But like you're telling us, we've kind of turned the, the whole experience of life into what can I do for myself that makes me happy at the moment? Well, that has destructive capacity, not just for our own personal life, but for our culture as well, right? Well, it's true. And for parents, if they're going to take this commitment to raise their children They've got to think through, raise what? You know, to, to be a, a surgeon? You know, to be an engineer? No, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right. And, you know, as I put all this together, one of the first things I did was I, I read dozens of books about discipleship. And I was shocked to discover that very few people who write about discipleship in America, at least, talk about the six things that Jesus identified are the qualifications of one of his disciples. And so it's important that we know those things because that's what we're trying to build into the lives of our children. You know, number one, recognize that what you're trying to do is to develop a disciple. Number two, identify what are the characteristics of a disciple. Luke 14, three different things he laid out. He said, you cannot be my disciple unless you love God more than anything and everything else in the world, unless you submit to his authority, unless you surrender to his agenda. And so when you keep those things in mind and then you start thinking about, okay, now what am I going to do to produce children that reflect those kinds of qualities that's a real challenge. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take massive amounts of energy and creativity. And you know what? It's going to be the most fulfilling thing you ever do. Coming up. I think our future depends far more on the hearts of the people of God than it does on elections and political parties. Hmm. Alan Jackson, when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. 
This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. No man, no problem. That's the way Joe Stalin put it. Totalitarian regimes and dictators know how to deal with problems. They disappear. And when it comes to human beings, that often means they disappear by murder. In this case, of course, we're talking about Alexei Navalny, who died Friday in a Russian penal colony in or near Siberia. He died just a day after appearing to be extremely healthy in a video appearance related to his legal situation. Navalny was part of a generation that was horribly offended by the corruption that is reflected in the Russian government. He named things for what they were. He exposed them, and he sought to organize opposition. He believed that the formation of opposition parties could eventually lead to the overthrow of Russia's corrupt regime. But predictably, given the history of Russia following a very familiar pattern, the regime struck back. Will this over time strengthen or weaken the Russian regime? Well, we'll be watching that closely. I'm Albert Mueller. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. Does it seem to you like so much of the news today is bad, hard news, sobering news? Even when the news within the church is sobering, as so many churches capitulate to the spirit of our age, it's the church that is on Pastor Alan Jackson's mind as we walk through this period of history in our nation. Jackson was a recent guest on my program. What is Would you say the most positive thing, though, happening in the kingdom of God in the church today with all of this confusion? There's always these surveys that say, oh, people aren't going to church or there's more religious nuns. People don't believe anything anymore. But what would you say is some of the best things that's happening today in the church? There's two big things I see. One is the truth is being told in the public square with a clarity that we haven't had for a long time. Mm. Prior to 2020, I trusted a lot of places that I now know were not trustworthy. And it's really God that pulled back the curtain and let us see that. So while it's unsettling and a bit uncomfortable, it's very helpful to know so that we can begin to align with things that truly are correct and truthful. It's it's true. There's a group of people that have stepped back, but there's a significant group of people that have raised their hand and stepped forward, and they're willing to do difficult things for the sake of the kingdom of God. That will change our future. I think you're right about that. That's something that was super positive. All the pain and the suffering and different things that happened during the COVID we got, you're, you're right, the curtain was brought back on what's happening in our school systems because parents got to go to school with their third graders and said, what is this you're teaching my kid? And the truth will set you free. And we're living in a world where it's challenging, but the truth is something that is fantastic when you're living in that reality. It is. Until you know the truth, you can't make a course correction. And so God in his mercy pulled those curtains back and it was a little bit shocking. It's like turning on the lights and you see what's scurrying around on the floor. But Now we can respond to it, and that's a very good place. I think that is a good place. And I think you're right, that it also allows for people to question what it is that they believe and tune their hearts, hopefully, to Jesus Christ. I like to say that Americans seem to understand that we need to be penitent, but we forgot what direction to kneel, and maybe we're remembering that now. That's a very good point, and I pray it's true. I think our future depends far more on the heart's of the people of God than it does on elections and political parties. Mm. And I think as long as we imagine that an election is going to fix us, we're idolatrous. And so I pray that we will do the hard work we can do so that God can do those things that only he can do. Yeah, whatever happens in our election, there isn't going to be some situation where Jesus looks down and says, what'd you do down there? I'm so confused. Uh, He's in control and what he wants to do uh, matters. Absolutely, it matters. And I even think, you know, it very much could be the end of the age. But it could just be the end of an empire. And if it is, that's because of the hearts of God's people. So again, I think we should feel empowered and understand our significance and not feel like we're victims. I think that is so great. And that's refreshing in the world today. And the the attitude, I think, that we should have that maybe this is God bringing things to the end and the different things that we see uh, in the scriptures and Revelation and in other prophecies. But also maybe we're about to have a great revival, something the world hasn't seen for a long time. Absolutely. I'm asked frequently, you know, do I think these are the last days? And I usually answer the same way. I can guarantee you these are our last days. We better treat them that way. That's right. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked the program and podcast, just take a moment to share it with a friend. Send them to ChristianOutlook.com for these and other great conversations. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan and Wilbert Flores, I'm Scott Furrow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.